Amen. Let's look at Numbers chapter 1. Numbers 21. Now we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 1. Read down to verse 10. I'm going to share a message entitled Snake Bit. And uh, so many times we get bit by the snake and we're in all kinds of trouble. Numbers chapter 21 and uh, verse 1 says, And when the king Arid, uh, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And they called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread." The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying unto the Lord, pray unto the Lord that uh, he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. And set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth. Let's pray together. Thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, that you can bless us over and over again. I pray, Lord, there may be someone here with us that's not saved. I pray they might come to know Christ as their Savior through the preaching of the Word of God. And, Lord, that their, their whole uh, person of who they are will be different. They'll be changed. And, uh, Lord, they'll have hope of heaven. And so I pray that if there's one here not saved, that they might be saved today. I pray for every believer this morning that we might realize the seriousness, Lord, of, of how the serpent gets in and how he uh, destroys our lives and how he turns us away from our God. And I pray, Lord, we might uh, determine to be faithful and true to a God who's faithful and true to us. And, uh, Lord, that you might bless us and you might move in our midst, Lord. And I pray if there's a need for healing this morning that you'll bring grace and mercy to heal that soul I pray, Lord, if there's just a restoration that needs to be accomplished, I pray that you would just speak in hearts. And, Lord, that we would surrender our complete will to your will. And so bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 6. It says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Snake bit. You know, Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, God gave them a perfect place to dwell. 
everything that they needed to sustain life and enjoy life throughout all eternity was in the Garden of Eden. But here comes the serpent. The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field. And the devil comes in the form of a serpent and Adam and Eve got bit by the serpent because all of a sudden the blessings of God were no longer blessings to them. Uh, the move of God was no longer enjoyed. The presence of God no longer was a blessing to them. And they despised the very things that God had brought into their life and gave to them to enjoy. And as a result of it, they rebelled and disobeyed God and brought sin upon all the world. And so Adam and Eve were snake bit. Uh, David was snake bit. You know, he was looking uh, over the, out his window and saw Bathsheba bathing and uh, the old serpent knows how to come along and bite you with lust. He knows how to get you to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at, doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And he, hey, listen, if we're not uh, willing to, to, to take on and kill the serpent, uh, he'll bite you. You know, I don't like snakes. I never have liked snakes. And uh, I remember uh, we, we, was, we used to see a lot of black snakes on the farm. And I remember one day my, we were going down in the meadows because um, the creek that ran around the farm, uh, there was breaks in the bank. And so when the waters would be high, the waters would flood into the meadows and big carp, I mean big carp, used to come up into the meadows to spawn. And uh, we'd go out there, we, we kids, we'd go out there because the water would only be about knee high. And you could see these carp swimming, and we'd catch those things, and then we'd sell them. Uh, we sold them for 50 cents, man. We thought we were millionaires, man. And we'd go out there and catch those big carp. I remember one day we were down there uh, walking through the meadows, catching carp. My dad was with us, and my brother and I was there, and we were going through, and a snake comes swimming through there. And uh, I don't know whether it was a water moccasin or what it was, but I know this. I thought my dad was going to walk on water. He almost stepped on that snake. And I never saw my dad step so high as he was stepping, getting out of that meadow. And he said, boys, it's time to go. I don't like snakes. Snakes will bite you, man, I'll tell you. David didn't realize that he was getting bit by a snake when old serpent put the um, Bathsheba in front of his eyes. Adam and Eve didn't know they were going to get bit by the snake when old serpent came to beguile them and enticed them. You know, Peter was bit by the snake. And, uh, you know, Jesus was telling the disciples all that was going to take place in reference to him going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world. And Peter's response, uh, let it be far from thee, Lord. And when, listen, when he did that, Satan just bit him. And the serpent just bit him. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And Jesus was aware of the devastation and the attack and the bites of the serpent. Israel has experienced in our passage here many difficulties in, uh, up to this point in their history. Upon leaving Egypt, uh, they would experience the parting of the Red Sea and they would be able to cross over on dry gap ground as God would deliver them out of bondage in Egypt. Uh, you know, they would wander in the wilderness, and as they wandered in the wilderness, they would cry out for water, and God would miraculously feed them water. But the, listen, the way, the travel, the process of going through this was burdensome upon them. Uh, they would cry out for meat, and God would send quails into the camp and feed them. God provided every which way for them. However, in the midst of all these blessings... 
in the midst of all these struggles and difficulties, uh, listen, they got bit by the snake. Because Korah leads a rebellion against Moses. God's judgment comes down on Israel. As you get to chapter 21 of Numbers, literally Aaron has died and his son Eliezer has replaced him as a priest in Israel. In all these difficulties, it discouraged Israel. That's why it says in verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now listen, when problems and difficulties come, that's when the Satan likes to bite you. Uh, when problems and difficulties come, that's when he wants to discourage you and, and rob you of the blessings of God. Notice the outcome of them being discouraged because of the difficulties in verse 5. says, and the people spake against their God. You know, you get, listen, when you start complaining about God, you just got bit by Satan. Uh, we, we listen, when you just start becoming dissatisfied with who God is and what he can do in your life, you just got bit. And uh, because God is always good all the time, and he deserves all our, our, our worship and our praise all the time. And yes, difficulties and problems and weariness will come into our life, but it is God who strengthens us and blesses us and gets through it, so all is well with my soul. And so they got, watch out, you get snake bit. Notice they not only did they speak against God, but it says here, uh, in verse 5, they spake against Moses also. I'll tell you, you know, when, when the snake comes and bites you, you'll complain about leadership in your life. You'll complain about, your wives will complain about their husband. Children will complain about their parents. Uh, you know, church members will complain about the pastor. Uh, you know, people in the church will complain about the deacons. I mean, people will complain about their boss. I mean, everything that we can enjoy by the hand and the blessing of God becomes a curse to us because we got bit by the snake. And so they speak against God. They speak against Moses. They literally despise the blessings of God. They says in verse 5, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? You know, you might get to the point where you think that God's leading in your life is only leading you down a dead-end street. That all you're going to do is come to a point where you're just going to die in that place. Uh, the difficulties that discourage us open up the opportunities for a snake bite, and it'll destroy your life. Now, think of this, the spiritual progression that people go through. I've watched this for 35 years, and this is just a, a map of a Christian's life. They get saved. Hallelujah. We're excited. They're excited. They get saved. They get baptized. And they join the church. I mean, they're so excited. They got saved. They got baptized. They become a part of the local assembly. They think the church is the most wonderful thing that ever happened in their life. They believe God is the most blessed individual that is ever connected with them. And they get saved and baptized and join the church. And boy, they get excited. They start giving. They start ministering within the church. And everybody is great. And everything is wonderful. And life is good. And victory is enjoyed. But then he get bit by a snake. The snake comes. And as he comes, all of a sudden, your bills start piling up. All of a sudden, you know, everything seems like it's breaking down. Watch out, that's a snake bite to rob you of the joy of the Lord. 
All of a sudden, there's trouble on your job. Your job you enjoyed all this time, but now all of a sudden you despise your job. All of a sudden, friends and relatives are just getting angry with you. You think everybody's against you, and you think nobody loves you, and you think nobody is good. You have disagreements in your home, and the reality is you just got bit by a snake. Because the devil doesn't want you to rejoice in the new life you have in Christ. The devil doesn't want you to enjoy your church life and your friendships and your family relationships in the body of Christ. The devil doesn't want you to give to the work of God. And so he's going to come along and try to rob you of your finances to stop you in your tracks so that you will not continue on for the glory of God. And at that moment in time, that snake bite brings death and they fall by the wayside. It's an amazing thing to watch over the years. And uh, I just know this, uh, when you get bit by a snake, you got to go to somebody and get so, uh, some healing in your body. Uh, the snake bite has to be dealt with. And so they get bit. Notice there's a, an emo, not only a spiritual progression that develops, but there's an emo, emotional dissatisfaction. Don't worry, this is all introduction. You'll get some points up there in a minute. Amen. I thought about putting all of these on there, but I was just running out of time. Amen. Set the clock forward and lost an hour. Amen. <laughs> emotional dissatisfaction. We get like the Israelite. They were emotionally, they were happy in the Lord. God brought them out of bondage in Egypt, but now they're no longer happy with God. You brought us out here to kill us. And I know, I know there's been times I prayed, I said, Lord, I think you're trying to kill me. I really have prayed that prayer at different times. But I've learned this, that I don't want to question God because when I'm questioning God, there is a snake that's nibbling on me, amen? And he's trying to rob me of the joy and the blessings of walking with my God. Emotional dissatisfaction will question God. Emotional dissatisfaction will make you disagree with the preacher. And, uh, you know, I've, just, I've often said, don't say you like me. Don't say you love me. Because of the fact, I've had people in church stand up and testify, Preacher, you're the most wonderful thing. We love you. I'm so glad you led me to the Lord. And six months later, they're out in church mad at me. And so don't do that. You know, don't do that. You know, just, just allow God to work in your life through the ministry and the life of the pastor of the church. Don't get emotionally dissatisfied with God and with spiritual leadership in your life. All of a sudden, your job isn't right for you. I got to get another job. You know, I've watched, listen, I have watched in the 25 years that I've been here, people have moved out of the area because supposedly a job, and they say this job is better for me, and this job is where I need to go. Yes, but did you pray about it? Well, I've been praying about it. I think this is the will of God. Well, what church are you going to go to when you get there? Oh, we'll find a church when we get there. 90% of them never find a church. And 90% of them get out of church and fall by the wayside and their families are a mess. What happened? They got bit by a snake, that's why. They got bit by the snake because all of a sudden their job isn't good enough for them. Uh, their house is too small, so I got to spend all kinds of money to get a bigger house. The reality is your kids may be taking up a lot of room in the house, but they're going to move out. Well, I don't know. In 2020, I don't know if they will move out or not. But anyway, they're supposed to move out, amen? 
they're going to move out and you're going to be buying a bigger house to try to house all of you in that big house and next thing you know, you're going to turn around just going to be you and your wife there. You say, what in the world happened? Now you got all these bills and, and precious New Jersey taxes, amen. <laughs> Job is not right for me. The house is too small for me. My car is too old. My health is too weak. I just, everything in my life, I'm just an emotional wreck. I'm just dissatisfied with life. Why am I even here? I'll tell you what the problem is. You got bit by a snake. God's been blessing, God's been moving, God's been uh, uh, being glorified in your life. And I'll tell you, the old serpent isn't going to allow it to continue on. He's going to do whatever he can to rob you the joy and the excitement about what God is doing. So watch out for snake bites. Uh, get some healing when you get bit. So here's the first thing I thought about. It says here the serpents bit the people. I thought of this, the bite of bitterness. Oh, how that destroys people. Why? Because the bite of bitterness is inward turmoil in the individual. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17. Paul tells us this, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and the word... Their, wor their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. And so the bite of bitterness. Watch out, the devil wants to bite you with bitterness. Notice the source of the bitterness in verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings. Very inter interesting, that word profane there means to be ungodly. Uh, watch out. Because, yeah, I've watched, listen, I have watched this, so don't argue with me about it, amen? I have watched this. And, I've, and there's not, I'm not against women working. But I've seen women say, well, they got to go get a job, and they got to do this, that, and the other. And the next thing you know, they get a job, and they're all of a sudden they're dissatisfied with their husband. I know he's a mess, but you chose him, amen? I didn't choose him. They get all upset about their family. They get all upset about their children. Uh, they feel as though they've got to find themselves and they've got to go out. And oh, this person on the job is saying, oh, you shouldn't have to go to church. And oh, you shouldn't have to follow the leadership of your husband. No, you don't, that's profane, ungodly babbling that is going on. And when that happens, that's Satan getting ready to snip at your toes. I've seen guys go out and get jobs, think they're going to make more money. And the next thing you know, all they're doing is working more hours and they're not spending any time with their family. They're not spending any time in church. They're not spending any time serving God. And all they're doing is listening on the job more and more information that is babbling and it's ungodly. Think of this. If you come to church every time the church services are going on, you got Sunday morning at 8.30, you got Sunday school. We got 11 o'clock. Of course, 8.30 and 11 is the same, but I think sometimes we learn by repetition. Maybe you need to go to both, amen? <laughs> <laughs> then we have a 6 o'clock service at night. Then we have a 7 o'clock service on Wednesday. So at the bare minimum, you got four services a week. That's four hours. That's it, four hours. How much time do you spend in your devotions? How much time do you spend reading the Bible? How much time do you spend praying? Add that on. 
The average Christian maybe takes five minutes a day. But start adding that on. You got 24 7, 24 hours in every day, seven days a week, and you start looking at church attendance and church instruction and, and biblical teaching, and maybe you do an hour discipleship with somebody. So maybe you've got five hours. Add up how many hours you're on the job. Most people work 40, 50 hours a week. Most people work, many people work 60, 70 hours a week. And all that time, if you work 60 hours a week and you take five hours off of it, that's 55 hours compared to five hours influence in your life. And when you're on the job and you're working with unsaved people, their philosophy, their concept about life is corrupted. It is profane. It is ungodly. And I'll tell you, the Christian has to watch out because you're living in and you're working in a cesspool of saints, of snakes that are ready to bite you at any moment and any time. So you need to watch out. The source of inward turmoil. You know, people just as happy as anything uh, as a Christian until they get around profane babbling ungodly babbling. The next thing you know, they got all kinds of questions and doubts of God. So the source is profane or ungodly babblings. Notice it's also, he says, not only profane, but vain babblings. The word vain there just means empty. In other words, it has no value. It's amazing to me how much time people waste talking about things that is absolutely nonsense. It is, it is alarming to me. I see kids all the time. You know, they got their cell phones. They can't, they can't live without their cell phone. I mean, they're constantly texting. Te and I'm thinking, how, how much can they have to say? They're only 15 years old. I'm 68 years old, and I can't talk that long. I got to preach on Sunday mornings. I try to make sure I got plenty of notes so I can make it an hour-long sermon. Amen. And uh, well, I can't talk that long. People just talk and 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 talk. And it means absolutely nothing. And we listen to this on and on and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, here comes the snake. He bites you. And he draws you away. You start, you had a heart that was on fire for God. You had a life that was surrendered to Christ. But now you're no longer satisfied with your life. Why? Because of profane and vain babblings. So the source of inner turmoil. The force of inner turmoil. It tells us in verse 16, says, For they will increase unto more ungodliness. That's the force. The word increase there means to beat forward. In other words, you're not just coasting forward. You're not just riding smoothly forward. But the vain and, and, and the babblings and, and all the profane conversations that you have, you know that they're wrong and you're hesitating to move, but the world keeps beating you forward, keeps beating you forward, keeps beating you away from God. They keep driving you away from God. And all of a sudden you turn around and you say, I don't know what happened in my life, but I just don't enjoy going to church. I don't enjoy being a Christian. I don't even understand why I even say that I'm a Christian. 
What happened? Profane and vain babblings that increase, that beat you. They beat you and drive you away from God. And Christian, I'm going to tell you, you better watch out for the snake bite because you'll start getting bitter towards God because of the constant inward turmoil that you're experiencing. Notice we not only have the source and the force, but we have the course. Amen? That'll preach. Amen? <laughs> My wife cracks me up sometimes. She gets on me about that. Notice in verse 17, says, And the word will eat as doth a canker. The course is this. It's a canker. It's a disease that it's untreated will corrupt everything. If you get cancer in your body, you're not just going to let it go. You're going to treat it. You want to stop that thing from increasing in your body. But yet as believers in Christ, we'll allow a root of bitterness to grow in our life because the world just keeps planting it and keeps impressing upon us to where this vain and this profane babblings just is going on and beating us down and beating us down and we won't get it out of our life. We won't acknowledge that we've been bit and as a result of it, it gets worse and worse and worse. It ruins your life. It ruins your spouse's life. It ruins your kid's life and it ruins those your testimony to try to lead others to Christ. Child, snake bite. It's not fun because it will give you a root of bitterness, inward turmoil. There's personal torment, not just inward tor turmoil, but the bite of bitterness will give you a personal torment. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 10 says the heart knoweth his own, uh, what is it? The heart knows his own bitterness, personal torment. You know, I have things in my heart that I can allow Satan to use to create my own bitterness in my heart. You have things in your heart. It's your own bitterness. Oh, we live in a world where we have to, we're good at passing the buck. We're good at passing the blame to somebody else. Well, I'm just not happy with going to church and I just don't like Christians because so-and-so. You just got bit. Because it's not about so-and-so, it's about you. Amen. Dr. Moon used to say, no doubt that you're the problem. No doubt it's you that caused the problem. You say, well, I'm not the one that caused the problem. Well, you're the one that can do something about the bitterness in your own heart. I can't change anybody else's heart, but I can deal with my own heart. Why? Because the heart, the heart has its own bitterness. And you have your bitterness, and you have your bitterness, and you have your bitterness, and you have your bitterness. I have my bitterness, and all we do is feed on that bitterness and try to satisfy our dissatisfaction, and it just keeps breeding more dissatisfaction bite of bitterness, personal torment. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 31, a practical temperament. In Ephesians chapter 4, how are we going to do this and deal with this in a practical way? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one towards another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
I thought it was interesting. I was putting this message together. Isn't it interesting that wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice, isn't it interesting that they are all listed after it deals with bitterness? And I was reading that and I thought of this, you know. The reason why we have, we, we live in a society where people say we have an angry society. I mean, we have to have anger management classes for individuals. I, I'm, I tell you, I am shocked that the amount of kids that come into our Christian school that are dealing with anger issues. And I'm going to tell you where it comes from. It comes from bitterness. Bitterness in the hearts of the parents that communicate it to their kids. Because they won't deal with it. They wonder why they're angry. They wonder why they speak bad things and evil things about others. They wonder why they're vengeful. You wonder why all this is going on. It's because of the fact you've been bit with the bitterness of this world and of, of your flesh. And the bitterness ends up driving us to be angry and to be uh, speaking evil and to have malice in our hearts. But wait a minute, the answer is be ye kind one towards another. And so rather than getting bit by the snake of bitterness, why don't we be kind, why don't we be tenderhearted, why don't we be forgiving? I can't forgive them, you just don't understand. You don't understand what they did to me. No, you don't understand that Satan bit you with a spirit of bitterness. And because you're bitter in your heart, you won't forgive. Because you're bitter in your heart, you won't get things right with God. Uh, you got you got a snake bite. Get the spiritual knife out, cut it, and suck the poison out. Amen. Why don't you give your life to Christ and let Him suck the poison out of your life, so that you can become a Christian that truly is forgiving and loving and tenderhearted and kind one towards another. Watch out for the snake bite. Practical torment. Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve and verse fifteen. Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Practical uh, temperaments. Uh, We better be careful that we don't allow a root of bitterness to grow up in us to where we destroy one another because of the bite of bitterness. I see another thing. There's a bite of jealousy. The bite of jealousy. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 34 says, For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about dealing with a situation, and they said, well, I'm just, you know, I said, you got to be kind to the person. He said, so I'm supposed to kill them with kindness. I said, no, you're to give them life with kindness. <laughs> oh, it's all, right, I, I, I'm, I, it's all right for me to get even. No, it's not all right for you to get even. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will pay. You have no justification to, to have vengeful spirit against anyone. We don't kill people with kindness. We give people life with kindness. And oftentimes we forget, well, wait a minute, jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 6, says, Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. 
The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have a most vehement flame. Jealousy is cruel as a grave. You know, the problem with Israel in Numbers chapter 1 with, with uh, Korah, with those that followed Korah, was they literally were jealous of Moses' leadership. And so Korah against Moses, Numbers chapter 16, where we read in Numbers, the text tells us in Numbers chapter 16 and verse 2. I'll get over there real quick here and read it for you. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, and the sons of Elab, and On, the sons of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy. Well, they were holy. Why in the world did they constantly be judged by God? Well, that's just a thought. Is every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And then when you read down in verse 8 and 9, it says, And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God, the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto it. He says, now wait a minute. Don't you think it's a great thing that God has separated you to do the work of the tabernacle? Here they are, they're jealous of Moses and Aaron's leadership and they had forgot the blessing of God leading them to minister within the body of Israel. And so many times what we do is we get bit by the spirit of jealousy because God may be using us where we're at, but we're not satisfied because we think we are just in longing to be in the position of someone else. And, I, you know, over the years at anniversaries of the church, I've given people plaques or whatever to try to recognize their faithful service in the church. And I tell you, without fail, I've had people complain. Well, you recognize so-and-so. Why didn't you recognize this person? So why, why are you jealous? Why are you jealous of somebody being recognized? Why are you jealous when God uses somebody? I've seen this among preachers. Preachers will get jealous because some other preacher is being blessed and their church is growing, but their church isn't growing. And right away they want to talk about them, want to condemn them. Uh, whoa, wait, watch out. There's a snake ready to bite you. and It's a snake that wants to bite you with jealousy. And so Korah going against Moses. You know, he's talk about being jealous for the Lord. Elijah was jealous for the Lord. And I think it's a good thing to be jealous for God. And uh, we need to hold up his name. We need to be jealous for the people of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that, that we're to be jealous for God's people. And uh, so many times what, we're doing, what we do is we allow this bite of bitterness and the bite of, of jealousy that calls us to turn our back on our brothers and sisters in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband 
that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We need to remind ourselves that, wait a minute, every one of us are a part of the body of Christ. Every one of us are to live our life for the glory of God. And listen, this old serpent will come and bite you with a spirit of jealousy against one another. There has never been a church that can survive a spirit of bitterness in it, nor has a church been designed to survive that can survive a spirit of jealousy in it. We are one together in the body of Christ doing the work of the ministry according to the gifts and talents that God has given to each of us. And we don't, we don't make our own talents. We don't make our own skills. We live in accordance with the gifts of God. So watch out, snake will bite you with a spirit of bitterness and a spirit of jealousy. Then I see there's the bite of covetousness. Boy, how many believers have been caught, pulled away from Christ because of the spirit of covetousness. And I've seen people be excited and living for God, serving the Lord in the church, and then they just want to get more money. And the next thing you know, they're out of church. The love of money. Uh, the love of money, we get pursuing and running after it. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. didn't say money was the root of all evil. It said the love of money. And some people just love money. They live for money. they got to get more money all the time. It says, Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I mean, the serpent of covetousness wants to bite you to think that you deserve more. You know, you know it's interesting that, uh, that when you deal with uh, preachers, preachers many times go from church to church to church and they're trying to use it as stepping stones to make more money. Uh, that's no good. Uh, you know, many believers, you, you, you get in your head, you got to make more money. I got to have more things. I got to get more things. And then you start living in light of getting things rather than serving the Lord and waiting for God's blessings to come in your life. You're to manage your wealth well. You're supposed to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so uh, watch out. Money, the devil will use money to dangle it in front of your faces and try to get you to follow after it. I've had people come in my office and try to entice me to do something with the guys that I have X amount of dollars I'm going to give you. And uh, I, I just won't take it. I had a lady years ago entice me, trying to entice me to, to make a decision. She said, I was going to give your school $100,000. And she said, I'm not going to give it to you now because you won't listen to me and you won't do what X, Y, Z, whatever it was she wanted me to do. And I told her, I said, well, I'm sorry, ma'am. Your money ought to perish with you. Amen. And then she really got mad at me. You know, I just, I don't understand why. And uh, she started to accuse me. That's your typical alcoholic. That's how alcoholics respond to things. And I was like, ma'am, look, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to do what God calls me to do, and that's the way it is. Your money will have to perish with you. I don't want your $100,000. Watch out, because I've seen many a ministry ruined because of the fact of the love of money trying to entice money to get into the church. And uh, it, that's a, it's a bite from Satan. Uh, contentment. Watch out for the bite of covetousness in the matter of contentment. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, if God has blessed you, 
with many things, then rejoice in it. If God has only blessed you with a few things, then rejoice in it. Uh, you know, Paul said he knew what it was to abound. He knew what it was to be abased. Uh, he understood to be on both sides, but he said this, I've learned that whatever state I am, there would be content. And so we need to learn to be content with the things that God has given us and has blessed us with and not be going after foolish things and living a life of covetousness. And so we need to be content uh, with our life. We need to recognize the sanctified believer. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, it says, But fornication and all uncleanness or, covetous, or, or covetousness, let it not be named among you as become of saints. Realize this, that as a child of God, we are not to covet after the things that are in this world. You know why people commit fornication and uncleanness? Is because they're coveting after something they are not allowed to have. You know, the marriage bed is undefiled. And so if you're not satisfied with your marriage, your marriage bed, then the devil's going to bite you with a spirit of covetousness to fill you with lust that you start looking somewhere else. Now, we're sanctified believers. If we're sanctified in Christ, then we need to live in accordance with that satisfaction and not develop a spirit of covetousness. And then by prophetic response, Bite of covetousness by prophetic response. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Here it is. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. In the midst of all these actions is, I believe, is driven by a spirit of covetousness. Because if we're proud, we think we deserve more than what we have. If we're disobedient, we think our life, I remember my brother and I, we used to say, I can't, when I get 18, I'm moving out of this house. This place is a prison, amen. That's what I used to think. Then we moved out of the house and couldn't wait to go back home, amen. And, you know, that's what, kids get this idea. They think it's better on the outside. The reality it is, you know, it's amazing. We have kids graduate from our Christian school. I can't wait to get out of this place. This place is a prison. You got all these rules and everything else. And, uh, I'm going gra and then they graduate and they keep showing up. They keep coming back. And, you know, the amazing thing is, in the time of our life, wherever it may be, the devil knows what to dangle in front of you to appeal to your pride. He knows what's to dangle in front of you to appeal to being unfaithful or unthankful to what God is doing in your life. He creates, he bites you with a spirit of covetousness and he ruins your life. Listen, the grass always looks greener on the other side, but the reality is the same problems and the same difficulties are still there. The children of Israel complained when they were in the wilderness, but when they got into Canaan, they still had to deal with everything they'd done in the wilderness. Yeah, you know, I was raised on the farm. I don't know if you know that. But cows are stupid. They really are. You can have them in a field. We used to have uh, winter rye grass. We would plant, you know, as a cover crop. We'd plant rye, and then in the spring, we'd let the cows go out there. The grass would be about that tall. Just before we plowed the fields, we'd send them out there so they could have all that to eat. There's a fence right there. And right here, the cow is standing in grass up to her belly. And where is, what is she doing? 
She's got her head stuck through the fence, Bob Bards, by barbed wire, sticking her in the neck, and she's pushing through the fence to eat this little bit of grass that's on the other side of the fence. It's unbelievable. But that's how we live our life. We're like a stupid cow. The serpent is swimming, he's running, he's hiding in the grass, right where you have all the blessings of God, and all of a sudden he bites you, I gotta go over there. It's better over there. No, it's not. You keep walking with God, you keep believing God, and God can help you overcome this matter of covetousness. And listen, Christ revealed it to us, Paul prophesied in reference to it, and don't you think for one minute that you can escape the bite of Satan. So what is it? How do we overcome this? Well, it says here in our text that they were bit. The Lord said, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So here's the answer. You need to look to Jesus for healing. You say, I got bitterness in my life. You need to look to Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was to put a brazen serpent on there because brass in the Bible always speaks of judgment. As the serpent was raised up and someone who was bit could look to the pole and be healed, when we have a spirit of bitterness and jealousy and covetousness, we look to the cross where Jesus Christ took all the judgment of all our sins upon himself and he can heal our soul, amen? Look unto Jesus for healing. Need to look unto Jesus for victory. I thought it was interesting in Numbers 21 as you read on through the chapter and after they, they saw they could look to the, the pole and they could be healed and God blessed them and it says in verse 17, it says, Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. And so they looked unto Jesus, the one who gives us victory. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ is still on the throne of heaven, and you can find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. So an old serpent comes, this snake, he bites me with jealousy. He bites me with bitterness. He bites me with covetousness. I've been bit, Lord. Look to Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ, you'll find healing. You won't find healing from people. You find healing from Christ. You don't find victory in people. I found this, people are fickle. It's amazing that on Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, they were all shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And one week later, they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. We find victory in Jesus Christ who was dead and buried and rose again, sending up on high and hallelujah is coming to receive us in the glory. And so when the snake comes, I remember a preacher preached a message years ago. It was called head busting. And I liked it. He said, we bust heads around here. Need to bust the head of the serpent. You know, the only thing you can do with a snake, you can't pet them, make them feel good. 
you got to cut their head off. Amen. And listen, you deal with bitterness in your life, you'll never feel good. You try to cut feel good. You try to, listen, you try to endure covetousness, you'll never be happy. You got to look to Jesus Christ and let the eternal Son of God destroy the serpent that bit you and give you victory. Amen. That's good preaching. I don't know about you. Snake bite. You got snake bite this morning? I'll tell you what you got to do. You need to come to Jesus and find the healing. Why? Because we leave the snake bite untreated. The venom will kill you. And God wants us to have life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. Look to Jesus. Don't look to me. Don't look to the person in the pew next to you. Look to Jesus. That's where we find healing and that's where we experience victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. I pray there might be somebody here. I believe there is somebody here who's been snake bit. God, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Help us to trust in the living God. You gave victory and power to Israel. Give us victory and power in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.